1851, Queen Victoria held an exhibition. It was called the Exhibition of Industrial Works of the Nations. And uh, people from near and far came to Hyde Park to witness those modern day marvels. Now the power of that era was steam. And there was all kinds of steam inventions. There was a steam organ, steam plows, there was even a steam cannon. But what won the prize was an invention, a steam-powered invention of over 7,000 parts. Those belts and pulleys and bearings and gears, and they all meshed in perfect unison and worked together, and it was amazing. But this machine had one downside, and that was that it accomplished absolutely nothing. I couldn't but help but draw a comparison to how many churches are doing ministry. Endless activities, lots of program, lots of noise, but very little of eternal significance is really being accomplished. But it wasn't like that in the early church. The early church was vibrant, they were passionate, but we're not talking about people who are third or fourth generation Christians. We're talking about people who are novices. They had never seen church. They had never seen it modeled. Uh, and yet they were incredibly successful at it. They were healthy. This says there was an awe of God. There was reverence for God. There was a fear of God. And the scripture says and thousands were being added to the church. They were successful at what they were doing. There were four objectives that they kept in front of themselves. I'm convinced if we want to be successful in ministry, we need to keep these four simple objectives in front of us as a congregation. I want to greet each of you this morning in Christ's name. I certainly welcome you to this part of the worship. Welcome you to the exposition of God's word. But I want to do more than that. I want to challenge you uh, to rekindle your passion for the church, the importance of the church. And, and I want you to consider this morning your connection with the church, how well you're connected. More than that, I'm going to be taking you on a short journey to the early church and let you see these four simple objectives. Now, before we do that, I have a little object lesson that I'm going to do this morning. As pastors, we're learning how to engage the congregation, and so I'm going to try to keep all of you awake. These are two bags. I want you to take the bags, give it a gentle but firm squeeze, each bag, and then pass it on to the next person. Just keep on passing it around. Hopefully by the time I'm done, it'll be back up to me. Well, this morning, as you think of ministries, there's a lots of different ministries and, uh, that today there's just almost every size, shape, and color. Uh, there's, there's large ministries. There's small ministries. There are uh, ministries that you're, some are very well-connected, close-knit ministries, and others, there's almost no connection whatsoever. So I want to begin this morning by placing 
uh, 10 statements in front of you that I came across, and I think they're wor worthwhile for you to see them. In fact, I had them put on the back of your bulletins because I, I believe those are, are statements that you should, should see. The first statement is this, the foundation of ministry is character. The nature of ministry is service. The motive of ministry is love. The measure of ministry is sacrifice. The authority of ministry is submission. The purpose of ministry is the glory of God. The tools of ministry are the word of God and prayer. The privilege of ministry is growth. The power of ministry is the Holy Spirit. And the model of ministry is Jesus Christ. You know, I'm convinced if we keep these 10 statements in front of us as we endeavor to do ministry well, that uh, not only is it going to change how we minister, we're going to be more relaxed and more confident in our ministry. But the other thing it's going to do is it's going to make us excited about ministry. And, and all of us could use a little more excitement when it comes to ministry. I, I have agreed with uh, Bishop Henry Mool, who said it this way, it's much easier to tone down a fanatic than it is to heat up a corpse. <laughs> so uh, let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. It says, And they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many, signs and one, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possession and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such, such as should be saved. Let me give you some context to this. At the day of Pentecost, because of the preaching of Peter, thousands came to the saving faith and were filled with the Holy Spirit. But they didn't have a church building. There was no pastor, no constitution, no list of church values. And they were unknowledgeable as far as the Christian life was concerned. They had an incomplete Bible. There was no understanding of the Spirit's presence. And yet they were able to form a church or were charter members of a church. And they did it with these four simple objectives. We, all, we find them in verse 42. Verse 42, it says, and they, verse 42 and 7, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And in verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily as such should be saved. I'm going to give you, I use the acronym WIFE. The W is for worship. The I is for instruction. 
The F is for fellowship, and the E is for evangelism. Worship instruction determines the depth of a church. Fellowship and evangelism determines the breadth of a church. And we need both. Now let's consider worship. When Dr. Luke uses the word continued steadfastly, it denotes a single-mindedness. It wasn't half-hearted. There was commitment. And there was intensity in that church. There was passion. They all participated and all were involved. And the immediate result we see in, in, uh, in verse 43, it says, And fear came upon every soul. There was, a, there was a breathtaking awareness of God. Uh, there was an awe of God. There was a healthy respect for God. Does that mean that all the meetings were dull and sober? No, it does not. In fact, verse 46 says, notice what it says, and, continue, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart and praising God. It wasn't something, there was joy in their midst. There was gladness. They were praising God. They were rejoicing. Do you realize that their fellowship, their worship was so amazing that when others looked in, the unbeliever looked in, they were amazed. It says they found favor with all the people. As the, unbeliever, as the unbelievers looked in, they exclaimed, how could it be? In, verse, in John chapter, uh, there's something about worship all of us need to understand. We find that in John 4, Jesus says, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father and in spirit and in truth for the Father, notice this, Seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. One of the problems we have with worship is we come to church to worship rather than come worshiping. You see, God seeks your personal worship. God longs for your praise, and he longs for you coming to church, praising him, and already worshiping him. It's one of those dynamics about worship. If there's going to be dynamic worship in this assembly, you need to come worshiping. Programs and activities do not create worship. They certainly do give us the opportunity to express worship, but they don't create worship. Somehow we have the idea if we do the right program or the... These guys are enjoying these bags up here. <laughs> uh, if we do the right program, worship will happen, but it... it, it uh,
stop and think about it. When's the last time in a setting in a church you became lost in worship? When's the last time that you became lost in wonder and praise in church? When, in the midst of worship, have you come to the edge of tears or found joy just springing up in your heart? When's the last time that you found yourself forgetting about that you're even in a church house because of the praise and, and the wonder you felt in experiencing God? You see, that's what worship is. You see, once you've experienced real worship, you're not going to want to play church anymore. If you experience real worship, it's, it's, it's one of those things that was happening in the early church. People, everyone participated. They came worshiping. And there was, there was an amazing wonder and presence of God in their midst. The eye represents biblical instruction. Instruction is the backbone of the body. Notice what it says in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Notice what it says in verse 44. And all that believed. It implies an objective body of truth that is mutually embraced. Instruction was so important in the early church that when the needs of the church became great, the apostles had four or seven men from the congregation who came, who were full of the Holy Ghost and, and uh, of wisdom, and set them up as to deal with the issues or the problems that were in the church. But notice what the apostles did. Notice what it says in Acts 6, verse 4. But we will, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of, word, ministry of the word. They did not stop. Nothing stopped them from giving instruction to the church. They were continually at it. Instruction was that important to the early church. And it is the same for us. Once someone has come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, they need biblical instruction. And there's no substitute for that. Um, and our commitment here to the, to the instruction of God's word is one of the reasons why we changed the baptism slash discipleship class. Uh, it used to, in years past, we would take people through a number of truths and at the end of it, we would baptize them. Since that we have changed, we, 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 do up, we go up to the article of baptism and we baptize them, but we, we realize the value of walking with newly, new believers after they're converted, giving them some stability and, and, and some avenues where they can ask questions and grow. We believe in, in giving people solid instruction. One of the benefits of instruction is that it does give you some stability. Uh, quite a number of years ago, one of the area pastors, uh, I, I was 
got into a conversation with him, and I, and I say this to your credit as a congregation. He said, I'm not sure how you do it. He said, if we would have dealt with some of the issues that you've dealt in your congregation, it would have divided our church. He said, I've tried a number of different things. He tried entertaining the church. He said, I've even tried just letting the, giving, letting the church have what they want, and nothing seems to work for me. In fact, he became so frustrated, he simply resigned. What he was missing was instruction. The church desperately needed instruction, and his gift was an evangelist. Over the years, he had filled up the church more than once, only to watch it disintegrate. The church needed instruction. You can only, you can only be saved once. After that, you need instruction. I'm convinced that's the only way a church is built up, is with the word of God and instruction. Instruction gives you stability. Well-fed sheep are healthy sheep. Instru Here's, notice what it says in Peter. It's, Peter says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but, but, but willingly, not by filthy, filthy lucre, but, but, but of a ready mind. In 2 Timothy, Paul says as well, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Here's some of the benefits of instruction. It gives you stability. It equips you to detect and confront error. It gives you the confidence in your walk with God. There's something else it does that we all need. It calms your fears. And it gets rid of some of those superstitions we've grown up with. Uh, instruction is just something we all need. My co-pastors have done a great job of giving you some healthy instruction. Uh, Pastor Jake has, has taught considerably on the kingdom of God and uh, what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Uh, Pastor Laverne has taught on the, on the heart. The heart is made up of three parts, your mind, will, and emotion. And if, if you're struggling in, in, in those areas, how you can become free if your heart is locked up. James recently did a two-part exposition on Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, and the way he presented it, it was balanced, it was biblical, and it was merciful. There was a great deal of compassion in how he presented it. And even those of you that were skeptical of church discipline found yourselves being, found it to be irresistible. The reason it was irresistible was because it was sound instruction. You found yourself being one. You see, once you've experienced sound instruction, you've, you've listened to it, you have been one, you're not going to settle for any soy sermons or any drive-through meditations. Because you realize you can spot when something lacks substance. 
You're like the little old lady of the years past the McDonald's commercial who held up this little hamburger and lift, lifted the bun off and said, where's the beef? You can spot when something lacks substance. You can just see it. Because you have had sound instruction. Now, there's a need for balance. We need good worship. And we need sound instruction. A church that majors only on instruction ceases to be a church. You become a school. Which usually turns into a clique, a clan, and then a cult. It usually follows some person. And you usually end up out on some tree limb theology. Around here, we encourage you to listen to other ministries. We're not intimidated. We think it's healthy. We just encourage some, some discernment on your part. Be discerning when you listen to other ministries. Not, not every ministry is a good ministry. By the way, instruction is more than being verbal. Around here, we look for good model. Instruction can be modeled. We look to those who are older uh, concerning some of life's questions. We look to those who have had experience. So not everything, not all instruction is verbal. Some is simply by watching. Trial and error. There's a third objective, is fellowship. Notice what it says in verse 42. It says, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. And it, and, and, it, and it has the idea of a togetherness. In fact, the, 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 the base Greek word actually means a partnership. We're actually going to see this in, in Galatians 2.9. Notice what it says. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When someone becomes a member of this congregation, you'll notice that Pastor James will give to extend to them the right hand of fellowship. There's a reason for that. Because you become a partner. You become a teammate. You join the team and you agree to work, to cooperate together or to work together with the body. There's mutual cooperation, mutual support. We work together as a team. You'll notice in the early church, they weren't like those marbles you guys just squeezed. They didn't march in and walk out the same way they came in. They were like the grapes that I gave to you. When life squeezed those, the early church, they bled out onto each other. Their lives bled together. When one had a need, they helped each other. Um, in Koinonia, there was two actions that, that are going on. 
There's a sharing with something and a sharing in something. In the physical, we share our, our, our physical. When someone has a need in this congregation, we share our needs with that individual. But there's something else we do as well. When there's, when there's emotional needs and a spiritual need, we share in something. When someone rejoices, we rejoice with them. And when they weep, we weep with them. Someone observed that it seems easier for us to weep with someone than it is to rejoice with someone. That's sad. We should be able to rejoice when God blesses someone in this congregation. We should be able to rejoice with that individual. For a moment, I'd like to take, uh, I'd like to just a moment express appreciation for our, our food committee in this congregation. I, I know that it's, it's a considerable amount of work for the two couples, Leighton and Kristen, and Richard and Dorothy, for, the, for, the, for all the organizing they do and, and getting the food around for our, our fellowship dinners. But there's something that happens when you sit across the table. Your barriers drop, and you there's it's it's one thing to know something, someone. It's another to sit and and visit and actually start bleeding together. Fellowship is so important in a congregation. Also, want to express my appreciation for those of you who host others for lunch. Uh, there's something about it that your relationship deepens with others when they sit across the table from brothers and sisters in Christ. When they sit across the table from you and and uh, realize that some of those uh, imaginations can go on until you really get to know someone and uh, you find out some people are just not the way you imagined. And so, fellowship is a really good thing. Now, a church that experiences real worship and good instruction and has some good fellowship naturally becomes a reaching church. There's evangelism that takes place. We reach out. The very next chapter, we read about Peter and John who were on the way to the temple to pray. And they come across this cripple who's begging for money. And, and instead of giving him money, they introduce him to the power of God. And this cripple is miraculously healed. He, he jumps up and he joins them. And notice what it says. And he, and he leaping, up, leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I would have loved to have been in that, that, that temple. Can you imagine how offended some of the religious people were? Shh! Trying to pray in here. You know why he was leaping and jumping and praising God? Because two men believed they had something that they couldn't keep to themselves. Peter and John. They believed that 
And it's amazing, the cripple believed it as well. He couldn't keep it. He had something so good. He couldn't keep it to himself. How about you? Do you really believe Jesus is so good that you can't keep it to yourself? When's the last time you shared with Christ? Let me give you some, some things about evangelism that are true. The first thing is, the church never came together for the sole purpose of evangelism. I challenge you to find me one scripture where the church came together for nothing but evangelism. They came together to worship, to be instructed, and to fellowship. And out of that, when they separated, they went to evangelize. But they never came together just for the sole purpose of evangelism. You see, if uh, these others are in their proper perspective, evangelism becomes a natural process. There's a second thing that you need to know about evangelism. Evangelism is almost always initiated by the believer. I have, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I have yet to have one person come up to me and say, you know what, I'm really concerned about my soul and I'd like to know Jesus Christ. It's never happened. All the instances in which I shared Jesus Christ, I took the initiative and did it. If you're going to share Jesus Christ, don't wait on the other person. Now, there is a need for you to be tactful, to be respectful, and, and, and to be loving about it. But uh, you're not going to have an, the unbelievers to coming to you acting for Jesus Christ, because most of them believe they, they're doing quite well without it. Thirdly, evangelism was never something anyone was forced or manipulated into. You cannot find me one scripture in which a believer manipulates or forces someone to receive Jesus Christ. No, they shared the gospel and waited for the Holy Spirit to do his work. And did it work? Yeah, it worked amazingly. But chapter 4, it says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. The church was growing by thousands, by people simply sticking to the four objectives and sharing Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing what happens when we do things God's way? Someone wrote, Love has a hem to her garment that trails in the very dust. It can reach the stains of the streets and the lanes. And because it can, it must. 
morning, I gave to you two bags. One's a bag of marble, the other's a bag of grapes. As a church, we can function like marbles. We can walk in here single file, hard, cold, never open our lives to each other. And we can leave exactly the same way we came in. And our ministry will probably be about the same. Or we could be the bag of grapes. Where when life squeezes us, we open our lives to each other for comfort, encouragement, for love, for instruction. We can bleed on each other. We can be changed, become silent about showing Jesus Christ. The choice is up to you. Whether you're a marvel. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this moment. We thank you for your spirit, your presence. Lord, we thank you that, uh, for the simplicity of your word. Lord, we are grateful that there are moments when we come back to some very basic truths. And this morning we're grateful we found that in Acts, the early church. Lord, I would pray that each of us would consider whether we're a grape or whether we're a marble. I would pray that you would give us the courage to open our lives to each other in a deeper and more meaningful way. As unbelievers look in and see the, the love and the care, encouragement they receive here in this congregation, they would be desire to know Jesus Christ. I would pray that we would also be faithful in sharing the gospel as well. I pray, Father, that uh, as these truths take root, I would pray that we would give you the glory, for you alone are worthy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn the